Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. All right, Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. Unlike most churches, I used to feel really insecure about maybe only just reading a couple of verses because I was afraid I was going to lose y'all, but not very afraid anymore. I'm going to read the whole chapter if that's okay. I do encourage you to read the whole story. I saw some eyebrows raised just now. He's going to read the whole chapter. Yes. Come on. You didn't read hardly any this week. This ain't going to hurt you. That was a joke. Joke. Chapter 39. It says, now when Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. I love this. He's going into slavery and the Bible says what? The Lord was with Joseph and he was successful. He was a successful man and he was in the house of Potiphar, which was his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him. And he made the Lord, everybody say the Lord, made all that Joseph did to prosper in his hand. And so Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. And then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. And so it was from that time Say that time. That he made him overseer of the house and all that he had. That the Lord, watch this, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Did you know God, when you are obedient to the Lord, the Lord can bless other people for your sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house in the field and thus he left all meaning the Egyptian left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he did not know listen to this he so entrusted Joseph that he did not know what he had except for the bread in which he ate but watch the turn in the story now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife Potiphar's wife excuse me uh Yeah, Potiphar's wife, casting longing eyes on Joseph and said to him, lie with me. Somebody say the devil is a liar. But he refused and he said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house and he has committed all that he has into my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept anything back from me but you because you are his wife. How, I love this, watch what Joseph says. How can I then do this great wickedness? He didn't even say against Potiphar. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? In other words, he did not do right because of people. He did right for the Lord. And so it was as he spoke, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her nor lie with her or to be with her, but it happened about this time when Joseph 
what went into the house to do his work and none of the men were in the house. That's why you got to keep a man with you. Somebody say accountability. accountability. That she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and he fled and ran outside. And so it was when he saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, see, he, meaning her husband, has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. She's lying, obviously. He came in to lie with me and he cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. And so she kept his garment with her until her master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these saying, the Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. Almost done. Verse 19. So it was when his master heard these words, which his wife spoke to him saying, your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master Potiphar took him and put him into the prison. Now I want to, I want to note something in that culture. If there was any accusation like this that was made, the man wouldn't have went to prison. But Potiphar had to still put Joseph in jail as the next best option because it would have marred the name of his home. So he did not believe his wife. Everybody, can, can you see that? Okay. So he took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were. So he put him in a place where he's going to be treated well. Because he didn't want to disgrace his wife. And he was with the prisoners and they were confined. And he was there in the prison. But, everybody say, the Lord. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph. Joseph's hand, all the prisoners who were in the prison, whatever they did there, it was his doing. And the keeper of the prison didn't look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. You may have your seats. May I have my pointer? Oh, ma'am. I've been ministering this subject called What Keeps You from the Courts. Does it work? How does this work? Show me how it works. There we go. I got it. Thank you, Rick. We're a little unpolished here, but Jesus is here. It's okay. Everybody been enjoying this, what keeps you from the courts? I, I truly feel by not just the spirit, I feel just in the days in which we're living in, I've saw, I've, I've, I'm going to give you a brief. I talked about this, I think, a couple weeks ago. But how many have seen a couple moves of God? Do you know what I mean when I say that? Like dispensation changes? 
like things changing, like in the 90s, how God was moving in mass crusades, healing the sick, and I still believe he's doing that, but it's, there's not an exclusivity now. It's like he's not only doing that. And then there was the teaching movement. Um, Dean remembers that. There was a lot of teaching going around, so maybe there wasn't a lot of signs and wonders, but a lot of revelation coming and a lot of prosperities. We've seen that movement. But, but when you park, here's the problem. When you park in a move of God and try to sustain it longer than God wants it to sustain, people start falling into error. Did you, did you know that? It's like trying to keep something alive where God no longer is. And this, this is how, did you know this is how denominations started? There's all kinds of denominations. And what happens is, is people will park where God was and they will try to, they will make monuments out of what was a movement. And, and, and so we try to resuscitate what God did. We try to duplicate what God did. But God is doing a very new thing in the earth right now in such a way that I have not seen. Now, I get to talk to people a lot, so I kind of know where a lot of people are in life. And I know what God is doing in my life. How many have sensed God purging his church? It's, it's God is cleaning house. Like, like, I see a lot of new faces, so I'm trying to be careful. Like, I'm trying to behave myself. But I'm not. Like, like, you know, he's cleaning up the zoo. Like I was going, I was at Sanford the other day. Look at my wife, she's rubbing her head. She's like, oh no. He, he didn't have his coffee this morning. He's like, I went there and I'm like, yeah, that's about right. It's, you know, a little different. But God, God has to, like... While at the same time, you have this, you can sense it in the spirit. It's like we feel like he's purifying, and yet there's this underlying sense and awareness, this undercurrent, if you will, this, this deep, insatiable sense that there is about to be one of the greatest moves of God that humanity has ever seen. Everybody feeling it? Like, like I mean... Besides the dreams and the visions that God has been giving me personally, and besides what I'm reading in the scripture, Joel chapter two is really what I love. It says in the last days, God is going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Sons and daughters are going to prophesy. Old men are going to dream dreams. So Dean, get ready for dreams. Like it's, I had to get him back. He's my friend. I've known him for 20 years. I'm totally kidding. Young men are going to see visions. I got the mic. <laughs> that's my buddy I can talk to him like that he's got like way thicker skin than any of you he's tough God is about to do something historic in the earth historic and you can feel it and, and, and it's like when is the revival going to come y'all move my revi revival banner I need that back there I like no don't move the Israel one somewhere I can see it or put it next to it or something no the pole is in the way there I lay my hand on that thing. I say, Lord, I thank you that revival is coming. But we have to be careful because what, you, what we can do as a church, because we're, uh, we're fallen, our nature is fallen. That's why you can't glorify movement. So what can happen, and I'm seeing happening within other movements, is they have it right but have it wrong at the same time. Like they so want Jesus to do something that they'll begin to glorify what they want Jesus to do instead of glorifying who Jesus is because Jesus himself is revival. It's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by the spirit.
And so here's what the devil can do. If he can't, if he can't, if he can't corrupt a movement, he'll crown a movement. He will get you to, he will get you to extract out of it. He'll get you to extract out of the movement Jesus himself. Like Jesus would show up and start doing healing signs, wonders, and guess what the devil will do? Wow. He will get you to get so mesmerized with the movements instead of the person, the man, Jesus Christ himself. Is everybody following me? That's good, right? It's like we have to have the fear of the Lord. I loved what you said earlier about the fear of the Lord. I felt that. I felt the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit on it because that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He is restoring a fear in the heart of every believer. And it's not a fear of, oh my gosh, God's going to send me to hell. It is not that. It, it's more of a feeling like, like a man has or a woman has with their spouse. Like, I don't want to betray my trust with you. We have something so sacred that I will not sell it for nothing. And I won't turn to any other thing or any other lover. Like, you are my every, that, that's a fear. Because you know if the trust is betrayed, it's hard to get it back. That is the fear of the Lord. That when you have the fear, listen, oh, I guess the Lord wants to go in a different direction. You men, where you at? Listen to me. Listen to me. Women or sexual tendencies or temptation or the devil is not your problem. Okay, it's a problem, but it's not the primary problem. Drugs are not the main problem. It's very simple. If you focus on Jesus and when you really get a revelation of who he is, the fear of the Lord comes. And once you gain real access to him, like I'm not talking about salvation. Once you confess, believe, you're saved. I get that when it's a genuine conversion... I'm talking about intimacy. I'm talking about being afraid to allow anything within the confines of that relationship that will pollute it, dilute it, or sever it. That is the fear of the Lord. So guess what? Then it no longer is difficult not to look twice or to pick up that thing or to look at certain things on the computer or beyond that. It can translate into tithing and how you manage your money or how you raise your children. It translates into every single aspect of our lives. Lay your hands on your heart and say this, Lord Jesus, give me a fresh dose of a fear for you. Yes. All right. That was an intro. So I want to talk about this thing. What keeps us from the courts? Like what is the courts of the Lord? Can I have, can I have the tabernacle up on the screen? I'm going to, I'm going to be a little bit of a teacher. I've been feeling like a little bit of a teacher anointing. Is it okay if I teach a little bit? Is it okay? Um, I've been enjoying this. I know I didn't draw this, but it, it's a small replica. A little cheesy, but I love it. it can, can everybody see that? Are we able to zoom in and zoom out? No? Okay. It's okay if not. So why did I read Joseph, and what does that have to do with this message entitled Courts? Uh, what keeps us from the courts. I'm going to tell you because last week 
We talked about, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Absalom. How many remember that? Absalom. Who was Absalom? He was David's third child, his third son. David, King David, say King David, who was his father, ostracized or put him out of Jerusalem for two years. Absalom wanted to come back. David brings him back, but refuses to see him face to face. Why did David do that? Because David wanted to see if his heart had changed. Time don't change people's hearts. I feel like the Lord wants me to say something about that because there's people in this room who want to be used by the Lord and you think sitting down for a certain period of time is going to change you like, hey, I need God to work. It's not about a time thing. You know that, right? It is an experience with God thing. It's, a, it's an intimacy thing. And guess what? You may not know this, but actually the time is in your hands in many cases much more than it's even in God's. You think God doesn't want to heal you of that? You don't think God wants to restore that? God is actually sitting ready and willing to do a work in your heart. It is us who withholds ourselves oftentimes from the promised land. What should have taken the Israelites 11 days took them 40 years. You think that God wanted to lose millions of people in the wilderness? No. You think he just wanted Joshua and Caleb to enter in? Absolutely not. But God was using the wilderness experience just like he was trying to use that experience with Absalom two years of sitting down, but his heart didn't change. Like if you're sitting down and God, God has you in a pause season in your life, extract everything you can out of that season. I don't care how lonely you are. I don't care if you're with someone or not with someone. If you have the greatest, whatever it is, whatever secluded place that God has you in, make the best out of it and go after Jesus with all of your heart and don't withhold anything. And if you remain in that type of heart posture, you won't ever have to try to keep up with God. You will walk lockstep with him. Do you hear what I'm saying? And we've seen the danger of elevating people who are not ready into positions that God wants for them, but they're not ready for. Absalom wants to be right beside his father. He wants to rule and he wants to reign. That's the number one problem is the want to. That's always a danger. Always a danger. The want to. I've told you this many times, the want to lead is a danger. Why is that? Because anybody in their right mind knows that leadership will cost you something. Cost you your time, cost you your resources. It may not be a bad feeling to want to lead, but I'm not sure. I think there is a higher way. Does that make sense? There is a higher way. In other words, look, look at all the people God could have chosen among David and his brothers. They all ran to Samuel. Oh, anoint me, king. David was like, I'm happy just serving Jesus on the backside, tending the sheep. He didn't even have the desire, yet he was fit. What made him fit was his closeness with the heart of God. You don't have to try to develop your great leadership skills. Get, Get close to Jesus. Because why? why? How is that, Pastor? There's some practical, something practical. Yeah, what's practical is get yourself locked away with Jesus. Get his heart because the king of kings will show you how to rule and lead rightly and in a healthy way. So you won't damage those who are serving under you. He will teach you that true leadership is servitude, not being served. It's humility, not wanting to be seen. Amen? And so Absalom gets promoted because Absalom burns Joab, whose Absalom's cousin would be David's nephew, burns his crops. And you know what they do? Because because he used the manipulative tactic, they, they, they elevated him. 
They got him right. Oh, he's going to act up. Maybe if we give him position, he won't act up. Listen, if somebody you know, if you're working somewhere, you're doing something, you're leading something, something, and somebody acts up, you do not elevate them. That is a sign that they're not ready. I know I'm preaching good. Never be, because, and do you know there's a, still a spirit of that at work in the church and in the, in the, in the, in the world? Like, like, if you don't do this, I'm going to do that. That's an Absalom spirit. If you don't do for me, I'm not going to do this for you. Manipulation. Be careful when people try to offer you trips and stuff. Come on, can I talk to you? Be careful when treat people know you have the power to promote and they do things for you. They're not doing things for you because they love you. They're doing things for you because they know you have the power to promote them and to give them what they want. God told you God's purging the church. We need a good purging. Don't we? Am I telling the truth? This is going to offend some. Every week. I have dealt. Can I be really, can I just be a little deep? Can I be a little deep? There's nothing wrong. I like gifts. I enjoy when people give me gifts. Do not get me wrong. But I've had people, not in this room, do this. Or maybe, they, not that I can think of, but I remember, I, have, I was talking to some friends the other day over breakfast, and I told them, I have dealt with Jezebel like three or four times in the church. If you lead something, I promise, I don't care if you're at work, if you're at a business like Dean, or if you're leading something, if you're at work, something. Uh, the Bible in the book of Revelation talks about Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. Generally, people who are controlling people, like you can, you can have a prophetic person. You ever look at someone like, man, they're super prophetic. Why are they so controlling? Why are they so mean? Why are they so manipulative? Have you ever seen that? Yeah, you never seen that, have you? It's called a mixture. It's a mixture. And Jezebel, by nature, if you look where, where she's from in the Bible, you know, does everybody know who Jezebel is? Jezebel was the, was the queen, and the, the land that she was from, her, her, where she came from, more than likely she came from a very damaged household. So when she became queen, she dominated her husband. So wherever you, but wherever you see Jezebel, you're going to see an Ahab every time. Every time. Like I've seen married couples who, if it's, if it's not one, it's the other. But usually you have one very domineering one and one very meek and mild. Like, don't say nothing. Because Jezebel cannot survive without Ahab. I've had people in my leadership, Holy Ghost filled, Am I able to tell the truth? I think this will help you navigate relationships because then you'll start realizing you fight more spirits than you do people. And then it'll teach you to pray. Instead of getting offended, you start getting on your knees and praying and you see people get delivered. It's more effective. Again, there's a higher way. There's a higher way. And then you can actually win the person. You don't try to win the spirit. You can't win against the spirit by, by trying to talk and reason. They won't reason with you. But I've had people, one of the meekest men, loving, smart businessmen. And I started getting text messages. I'm like, he doesn't talk to me like that normally. Very dominant. I'm like, 
ah, it's coming from the wife. And they started trying to tell me how to do, work the church. Trying to tell me what to do. Want to shut me down, doing all this stuff during COVID, all these different things. I said, oh, and I started feeling sick in body. I started feeling, I wanted to quit. I wanted to quit. I'm like, I don't want to do this, Lord. And that spirit, and think about it. Think about it. This is how you know it's Jezebel. Is this too deep? Do you want to hear about this or no? Okay. She's like, yes. I started feeling sick in body and wanting to quit. Now, if you trace back, this just came to me. Remember when Jezebel said she was going to kill Elijah? What did he do? He ran. It makes you want to quit. That's how you know you're dealing with a spirit. You're not dealing with a person. And so when I got that revelation, oh, I'm dealing with a spirit. I mean, I want to quit. I was feeling sick in my body. I mean, you're talking about a prophet who just slain 400 prophets of Baal, false prophets, now running for his life from Jezebel. He was dealing with a spirit. So you never want to promote. You always want to test, test people in your job, in relationships. You don't just give them full access. Because if it's easier to maintain or keep a mess at bay versus just letting a mess just happen, then you have a whole big old giant mess. And there is a way. There is a way. Give me my thing. This is our, and this, this right here, this is the outer courts where all the tribes of Israel would dwell. All the tents would remain out here at the 12 tribes of Judah, Issachar, and the rest of Judah. Everybody familiar with the 12 tribes of Israel? Can I teach just a little bit? This is churchianity. God is calling us outside of the tents into what we call the outer court, but not to stop there, but to go from the inner court into the Holy of Holies. Now, I'm going to teach you something about that because what Absalom did, he wanted to come out here out of ostracism and he wanted somebody else who had the power to get him there to go from here to here. And I have found out, I want to teach you something about the anointing. There's a difference between anointing and glory. You know this. Anointing and glory. And this is all going to tie in. Can I go just a little bit longer today? I feel this is really going to bless you, especially for leaders and people who are called. How many people in here who are called? Now, this is a leadership church. I really believe that. Now, we got to get better at equipping all that good stuff. We've got a lot of room to grow, but this is leadership church, so we're going we're gonna to be pretty heavy this morning. Anointing is the empowerment to do and to fulfill God's calling on your life. You're anointed. You're anointed. You're anointed. I'm anointed. We all have a special anointing on our life, and that's God's empowerment, his endowment to do what his calling requires of you, to accomplish it. Glory is different. Anointing will fire you up and get you started and start hollering and casting out devils. The glory doesn't do that. The glory shuts you up. I can't minister. On Wednesday night, I couldn't minister hardly. You do not. The anointing rarely functions alongside God's glory. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Do you remember in the Bible when it says the priest went into the inner court and they could not minister they could not minister because of what the glory you can't minister under the glory 
that's when God steps in and does the work. That the, it's, a, it's a greater level. It's not just God's anointing. It's his glory. His power will actually do way more than you can do under the anointing. It's God himself working among a people. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It is dangerous to come from out here and want to be expedited into there because the anointing stirs something in you. The good things that God has put in you, the fruit of the Spirit in you, His giftings, the nine gifts of the Spirit, the nine fruit of the Spirit. There's nine fruit, there's nine gifts. And if you look at every single fruit, there is a gift that coincides with it. You hear what I'm saying? Like faith is a gift, the gift of faith. Say the gift of faith. What do you think would accompany the gift of faith? So say fruit, gift. Nine gifts, nine fruit. Everybody with me? Faith needs patience. They work together. Faith is persistent. It won't lose hope. It keeps going. It keeps pressing into the things of God until the thing manifests. But when you have more gift than fruit... This will kill you. Am I teaching? The gift, the anointing will stir up whatever's good in you. But when you walk out and get out from underneath that anointing, it stirs the bad. Whatever you struggle with. Why? Okay, what are you saying, pastor? What are we saying? Because... We're not going to go into here like Absalom tried to do, to get into the court in his own power and vicariously through his father's power. We're going to do it Joseph's way. There's a higher way. Say, there's a higher way. There is a humble way. There is a lowly way. And God's way takes longer, and it is a slow drip, but it is pure water. And once you get there, you will not have to fight for the position. You won't have to worry about the government to take your home. Oh, I could stand on this chair right now. You will not have to protect it because what God will give you, no demon, no woman, no man can take away. When you have, I have seen people demonically get into positions. And listen, I'm talking way outside of church now, period. Just in general, they get to a place that they desire to be, but they lied to get there. They lied on their taxes to get there. I'm just being really practical. Be careful. I'm serious. I'm, I'm, I'm being funny, but I'm also being serious. This is why we have to live holy lives. And it's not by might, it's not by power, it is by the Spirit, because it's only by God's grace in the inner working of the Holy Spirit. Let me establish that right now. You can't do for God without God. You can't live for God without God. You can't walk in the power of the Holy Spirit without the Holy Spirit. Can we establish that right now? But I've seen people who, like Joseph, he was a dreamer, say he was a dreamer. He was a dreamer and God gave him a dream and he opened his mouth too prematurely and it got him thrown in a pit. But God orchestrated the pit for him to be thrown in and it wasn't because God didn't love him. God put him in the pit because he did love him because he saw the gift, but he lacked fruit. 
He lacked character. He wanted to go telling his brothers, you know, one day you're going to bow down to me. Does everybody know the story? You have to read this story. It's my favorite story in the Bible besides Jesus, the life of Jesus. But Joseph doesn't go through the, is this good? He doesn't go through the same motion that Absalom did. He doesn't try to vicariously get through someone. He surrenders to the process. He surrenders to the pain. He surrenders to the agony. And he doesn't, he doesn't look at people like, oh my gosh, you're just being used by the devil. He says, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. Listen, if you are a child of God, if you are a woman of God, child of God, man of God, God will not permit one single solitary thing to happen in your life that is not his will. Listen, even if the enemy gets in some kind of way, some kind of a back door, it becomes a part of God's will. I wish I knew how to do the shuffle. I need one of you, my friends, to show me how to do the shuffle. Romans 8, chapter 28, verse 28. God works out all things, every demon, every devil, every setback, every mistake that you made, even at your own hand, God will work that thing out for his glory and for your good and for my good. Joseph surrendered to the process. And listen, listen to me. Are you listening? Even if it's sickness, go ahead and bind it. Bind and loose and declare and find out every single healing scripture that you can. But if God doesn't heal you, I'm just telling you, maybe he's allowing that to. Oh, man, if I read Deuteronomy chapter eight, he said, I allowed you in the wilderness for all these years to test you, to humble you, to see. Oh, God, if you would keep my covenant. And God will leave you there for a long time. Ask Dean Blankenship. He's the only one who knows. He knows I was in the church 15 years. I'm like, man, I can, I can do. Lord, give it to me. Just let me run. Hey, I'm going to let you run. I got a calling. Gave me the vision. It was prophetically in front of thousands of people. And he said, now, I said, what's my duty, Lord? He said, sit there. When is it time? When is it time? Sit there. What does sitting do? He's working. Oh, that's what it was. The gifts and calling are without repentance. The gifts aren't earned, but the fruit is. Listen, gifts are given. I called him as a prophet to the nations. I called her as a leader. I've called them to cast out devils, heal the sick, all these different gifts, gifts, gifts. I've given him leadership gifts. I know you have a great, great leadership gift. God put that in you. You know, you, you didn't do that, right? And the gift is not your responsibility to get from the Lord. But it is your responsibility to water the fruit, the seeds that he put in you. And he put in me. Why does God do that? So that when he brings you to the place of honor, and leadership, whatever that looks like, calling. You know what they would do? 
Do you know what the priest would wear? This is a priest right here. See, they're both priests, but this is a priest. He's wearing the priestly robe. Even, even his breast has all the 12 jewels in there that represent the 12 tribes. Do we have the other picture with the tents on the outside? Oh, no. You can go back. Is this okay, guys? I'm having fun. This priest, this little guy right here, on the bottom of his robe were pomegranates. Pomegranates. How do you say it? Pomegranate. Sound like a white person. Pomegranate. Pomegranate. So, uh, ushers, can you take care of that? On the bottom of his robe were pomegranates. Pomegranates. Did you know that? Pomegranates? You did know that? Who did not know that? Who did not know that? Did not. Okay. I want to talk to you. You knew that? Why was that? What they would do, see, we don't talk about this much, but there was a string. This is why this guy is here. They would hold a, he would have a string attached to him. When, when, it, when he would get into the inner court, he was allowed in the, okay, everybody say outer, outer. inner, inner. Most, holy place, most holy place, or holy of holies. God would let him get this far, but if he had sin on his life, he had a string attached to him with pomegranates and bells. Shing, shing. And it would ring when he would get into the inner court. And he would go through the elements. And I'll teach you about this later because I'm running out of time because Dean's going to start squawking because he has to go have his afternoon nap. I'm teasing. Showbread. This is the table of showbread or showbread. And I'll teach you about this in just a minute. This is the lampstand. This is the altar of incense. This is the, oh, geez, and this all, this all screams Jesus to me when I say, I just see Jesus there. Okay, I'll explain that later because all this speaks of him. This was BC. Everybody say BC. This is the Ark of the Covenant where the glory of God dwelt, this kind of glory where his power and his glory dwelt inside there with the broken tablets, Aaron's rod that had had budded, and also manna that still existed in this. Now, when that priest would walk in there, he would go through the sacraments, the bread, the lighting of the candles, the burning of the incense where he would pray. When he would get through this, he would go into here, and if he had sin on his life, he would die. And they had no more bells. The bells would stop, and the pomegranates would stop ringing and clicking. And what the other priest on the outside would do, the guy in white, they would pull him out. Because according to Scripture, they were unclean. They weren't allowed to go, and only the priest was allowed in once a year. You see that? God doesn't kill people in here anymore. He uses pits. Now, I want you to think about this. Why? Why? Let me just go through what Joseph went through. Is this helping you? And listen, I'm not pre- I'm preaching to myself. I'm encouraging myself. Oh, I don't want to do that. Lord. I want to show you. So where God doesn't just, this is God's process. Say, this is God's process if I want to be close to him. 
if I want to fulfill my calling as well. Okay. Joseph has a dream, has a calling, and he's going to be both like a priest and a prophet, a type of savior. You know that Joseph is a foreshadow of Jesus Christ, right? Everybody know that, right? And you know what I thought about? I went over all the things that Joseph, how he symbolized Jesus. He was sold for shekels of silver. He was thrown in a pit just like Jesus would be thrown in a pit. His coat of many colors was stripped off of him just like Jesus' robe was taken and cast lots for. All these different things. Also, do you remember when Jesus started his ministry? How old was he? Do you know how old Joseph was when he started ruling in Egypt? 30. All four shadows of Christ like shadows. So what happens is, is God gives Joseph all these processes. Why does he do that? To get Joseph's heart ready for the calling of God on his life. Why is the church going through purification? Why is the church going through hardship? Why are you experiencing all the portrayals? Why are you experiencing all the pressures? Why are you experiencing all these demonic attacks in your life? It is God's way of bringing you through the process, the outer court, the inner court, and the most holy place. So listen, when the glory of God touches your life, it doesn't ruin you. It becomes more of a blessing to you and to those around you. How many want God's glory moving in their life? What do I mean by that? You know, I keep telling, I keep, I keep repeating this to the church. There's not many more, there's not many people. God loves everybody. Most preachers won't tell you this. I love everybody. Genuinely, God knows as my witness, I genuinely love everybody. But preachers won't tell you there's certain people they just don't like. God loves everybody, but God don't like certain things. Love and like is different. I said love and like is different. God didn't strip the kingdom from Saul because he... Did God still love Saul? Absolutely. But he stripped the kingdom from him because there were things in Saul that God did not like. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So God was bringing Joseph through this process. What was the process? I'm going to give it to you. He brought him through the rejection of his brothers. And look at the very end of the story. Look at how Joseph receives them. If God would have promoted Joseph just a wee bit early and he had the ability to put his brothers in a pit, he probably would have killed them. But the pit and the betrayal of, of Potiphar's wife and the jail time that he did worked that rejection out of Joseph so that he, when he came into a place of power, he wouldn't abuse it or the people that were serving under him. It gave him character. They attempted to murder him, sold him into slavery. He got lied on and he went to prison unjustly. He interprets dreams for Pharaoh's cupbearer, prophesies and says, look, when God brings this dream to fruition and you get out, I want you to tell Pharaoh about it so I can get up out of here. And guess what they do? The Bible says they forgot Joseph and left him in there for two more years. 
God left him in there for two more years. I said, God left him in two more years. No matter what you're in, I know this sounds preachy, but no matter what you're in, if you've been praying about it, you've been fasting, you've been begging God to get you out of it, listen, if you're still in it, it's because God is allowing it. Oh, I know that doesn't get many shouts in the church, but we need this stuff preached. We need a pure and spotless, wrinkle-free bride that are ready for their Lord's coming so we can get up on out of here. He's looking for spotless people. He's looking for people to entrust his glory with, his power with, revival with, without losing his affections. It's unfortunate. It's so unfortunate to me. It's so unfortunate that there are so many Christians. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about Christians I was gonna say, I was gonna say, look at your neighbor, but don't don't look at him. Because it could be in the room. You just never know. No, this is a good church. Y'all are wonderful people. Really. I love this church. Thank you, Jesus. It's unfortunate. Many people want power more than they want Jesus. It, it's the truth. It is the truth. I was saved probably for 10 years in before I got this. That you can want what he has to offer you more than you want him. It's dangerous. Because the goalposts will continue to move. And it becomes more and more. More money. Bigger church. Bigger business. More kids. Maybe that'll do it. More this. More that. More shoes. It, it, the goalpost continues to move. And it, all be, it, it becomes all in his name without his name having the stamp of approval. I told you this. I told you this. This is, this, is, this is awesome. Are you guys good? All throughout the Bible, all throughout the Bible, God announces publicly when he's going to do something great. This, this, I have to fear the Lord on this. The Lord corrected me this week. I'll, I'll, I want to be honest, but he, all throughout the scriptures, God announces. He announces, I'm coming through an angel or through a prophet. God is coming. He's going to do these great things. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. The Messiah is coming. All foretold. He, he let creation know. But all throughout the scripture, when you find people that God partnered with and he left, he did not announce his departure. He doesn't tell you, hey, you know I'm going to leave if you keep doing that. Do you hear what I'm saying? He announces his arrival. He doesn't announce his departure. You remember? He said to Saul, I'm going to use Saul. He was the first king. Say the first king. I, the Bible says he was tall, handsome, stood head and shoulders above every other man. I found a man to lead Israel. And he says, when you were little in your own eyes, I chose you. He loved him. He didn't tell him when he left him. Whew. Continued disobedience. Whew. The favor left. The power left. His influence left until he started making really dumb mistakes going to get fortune tellers so that he looked holy. So that he looked anointed. So in other words, he's like, I don't got it anymore. I know he's left me, but maybe the bumper sticker will do. 
Maybe the necklace will do. Maybe a leather bound will do. Oh, God's doing a holy thing. He's doing a holy thing. So where God doesn't just wipe people out anymore, he loves us. You see, after Jesus was born, look, God, pre-Jesus, God had never been in the flesh. He created flesh. Are y'all hearing me? He created flesh. He wasn't flesh. Until John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word what? Yes. Then he knew what it was like. Then he knew what it was like. So he never dealt with people by destroying them anymore because he knew what it was like. Now he's touched with the feelings of your and my infirmities. That's why he can sympathize with our weakness. Am I talking the Bible? Now we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness for he was in all points tested as we are yet without sin. So now God doesn't do what he did before. Now he uses process and he uses pits and he uses imprisonments. And these are all foreshadows. I'm not saying physical. I'm talking about sometimes it's mental. Sometimes it's in your heart. Sometimes it's a season that you're going through. Why is God doing that? And why is he doing it globally and in the whole nation? Why? Because he's getting us ready for perhaps the greatest awakening that humanity has ever seen. Something historic, something glorious, something that no man, no movement, no church, no clergy, no pastor, no evangelist, no pastors or prophets or apostles can take the credit for. Only God can get the credit for. Only God can get the credit for. Stand to your feet. There is so much more here. My Spanish-speaking people, I'm so sorry if I'm moving fast. I know the service is being interpreted for you. My sincere apologies. I hope you're enjoying this, though. Can you put that back up on the screen? I want to read a scripture to you. Can you give me the other, the outer court? I'm going to have to continue this next week because I didn't even like scratch the surface. I know that's funny. I really didn't. I didn't even get to it, what I was going to preach on. I just felt like a lion on the loose. I'm just being funny. But this right here, I want to teach you all the elements. There's seven main pieces of furniture. This right here, what's that called? Taught you last week. Brazen altar or altar of sacrifice. You cannot get here without starting here. Do you remember one of the first things when Joseph got thrown in the pit? What'd they do with his coat? Dipped it in goat's blood. Sacrifice. Joseph yielded his life as a sacrificial offering to his heavenly father. That's what got Joseph from here. Eventually, we're going to see where he gets. He's going to get to the courts of the Lord, but God's way, God's way. Everybody say sacrifice. Yes, that's where the priest would cut the lamb 
and sacrifice the lamb and burn the lamb. That was the process. Say, that was the process. I'm going to read something to you really quick. The Holy Spirit had dropped this on me. I knew it was from the Lord. Did you know there are three baptisms? Well, there's probably more. There's probably more. I'm going to give you the three main baptisms in the Bible. Can I give them to you? Baptism in water. By immersion. The prophet, he was a prophet, John the Baptist. Jesus, at his own admission, said he's greater. He's the greatest prophet. He's actually, yeah, he was one of the greatest in heaven, right? John the Baptist. He baptized unto repentance. So baptism of water by immersion. That's number one. Number two is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But there is another baptism that we don't talk about. But the scripture talks about. And it's very clear. Can I read it? It's in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 through 23. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking him for a position. It didn't say position. It said asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and another on your left. One on your right hand and another on your left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able, watch this, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and what? And be baptized or be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with. That's a lot of baptisms. They, they said to him, we are able, brave, we are able. So he said to him, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right and on my left is not mine to give. But for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. I know we're going to get to this inner court thing. I am so excited about it. But we can't get there until we start here. What baptism do you think Jesus was talking about? Do you think Jesus was talking about the disciples not being able to hold, uh, handle the cold water of the Jordan River? Like, you can't handle that kind of baptism. That water is way too cold. Do you think it was, he was saying, you can't handle this baptism because John really keeps you down there for a long time? No. He was talking about the baptism of suffering. James. Suffering. The baptism of suffering. The altar of sacrifice. If, if you want to begin on a strong journey with the Lord, listen, most people don't know when they are called, God will call you 
but he won't tell you what you are going to have to sacrifice. He won't tell you. He will tell you what you are going to do in the calling, the beauty of it, but he does not reveal what you're going to have to die to, what you're going to have to let go, or who you're going to have to let go, or what you're going to have to let go. Catherine Kuhlman, my favorite person, she talked just like that too. It costs everything. If you really want to know the price, it costs everything, don't it, Dean? It costs everything. It'll cost everything. It'll cost everything. If you want my glory, if you want my power, if you want my anointing, if you want my heart, if you want my heart, it'll cost you. Everybody loves a bargain, but God doesn't bargain. It'll cost you everything. And it starts, how do we get into the Holy of Holies? How do we get to the will of God? Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.